Jonah, uh, we saw what looks to have been a revival that took place uh, in the Assyrian capital of Nineveh, an exceedingly evil city, exceedingly evil country. And we've been here for several weeks now in this story that Jonah was told to go uh, in one direction to what would be Nineveh, which is modern-day northern Iraq, around the town of Mosul. Uh, But he went to Joppa, which is in modern-day Israel, Jaffa, with an F. Uh, He went in in the opposite direction. And God pursued him. There was a storm, there was a a fish, there was repentance, and then he got back to Joppa and finally went and obeyed, and there was some sort of effect of the gospel preaching. And I mentioned last week that that's very similar in the book of Acts to how God gave a vision to Peter who happens to be in the same city in Israel, Joppa. That there needs to be ministry to those who you would deem, Peter, as unclean. And Peter arose and went to another town where there was a Roman centurion, Cornelius, who also responded uh, to the gospel as well as a good number of other people in that town. And then I said last week that That's a prayer that I think we should have. There should be revival, not simply throughout these lands, but even throughout our state or even this part of the state or even our own little town. But that that would have to start in our own hearts, a revival of of our own hearts. Well, this morning, we have yet again a, a believer a leader of believers, Jonah, who has uh, what I would say is a heart problem. Even after he's witnessed fruit from his ministry. I compared uh, Jonah in the first couple of chapters to the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. What we see in just these first four verses of chapter 4 is the older brother in Jonah. And I want to read from Luke 15 from that passage, the parable of the prodigal son, starting in verse 25 of Luke 15. Just listen. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. You see a pattern there with the older brother and with verse 1 of chapter 4 of Jonah. Jonah is angry, which happens to be a symptom of a deeper heart problem. And that's part of our outline this morning. We'll start with the symptoms of his problem and then we will look at the problem, and then we will look at the solution. First two verses will show us, firstly, that some of the symptoms of his problem are that he is angry at God. 
Verse 1 is clear about what's going on. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He thought this was nearly evil. But these people have been saved by God. He's angry that God is gracious to other sinners who desire to change their behavior. Maybe he doubts the genuineness of the faith of the Ninevites. Maybe he thinks that they do not deserve it for what they had already done in their lives. But he is incredibly disturbed by this and is terribly angry. Now, we remember Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says to be angry and do not sin. It's possible to do that, especially if we're angry at sin, the consequences of sin, which doesn't seem to be what's going on with Jonah. Anger is ultimately about control. When I'm, when I'm out of control, I get angry. There's something that's deeper, though, because he has this issue. He thinks that there is an injustice. God's not doing anything about it. God, you're wrong to be gracious to these, to these evil people. They don't, they don't deserve it. You shouldn't give it to them. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm angry, and you're angry, because we have unmet expectations. Jonah expected to go to Nineveh, that great city, and see it burn on the 40th day because he knew how evil they were. He knew how sinful they were. That would be the most just thing for God to do from Jonah's perspective. That's what he expected. That's not what happened. And he's angry. You have unmet expectations in your own life. You expected to make this score on the ACT, to get into that college, to have that job, to be married at this age, to have children, to keep said marriage or children or job. We could go on and on. Everyone has unmet expectations and could probably say at some point in their life, this is not how I planned it. And I know who's in control, and I'm angry at God. Obviously, we would call mostly what Jonah is doing is a sin. The, the arrogance, the, the dismissal of God's grace from a prophet. But then we would have to quickly number ourselves with those like Jonah to say, I often think I could do it better than God and plan things better than God, especially with my own life and my own loved ones. But secondly, the symptom is not only that he's angry at God, but, but thankfully he's angry with God in the sense that there's a wrestling that's occurring in all of chapter 4 that wasn't 
in chapter 1. The beginning of verse 2 says that he prays to God. And then we have that prayer in the rest of verses 2 and 3. So, a Scottish pastor in the 19th century, Hugh Martin, notes, His danger formerly was in fleeing from the Lord. Agitated and alarmed, he fled from the Lord. Agitated and alarmed, now again, he flees to the Lord. This is the safety of his position now. He does not seek a refuge from God. He makes God his refuge. So, we would would at least have to say and acknowledge that there's been some progress in, in Jonah's life. That he was so appalled in chapter 1, you want me to go where and preach the gospel to who? No way. They will not only kill me, they don't even deserve it. So he just left. But now in chapter 4, instead of running away from the Lord, like many of the psalmists, he runs to the Lord in prayer, a means of grace to say, I don't, I don't get this, God. We're we not going to say that his anger towards the Lord is okay. But obviously, there's a wrestling in the faith. And that's actually noted in chapter 14 of the Westminster Confession of Faith on saving faith. As it is defined, it says, this faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, may be often and many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory. We don't lose saving faith because we didn't earn it. But what the confession is teaching is that there are times in our life, maybe due to significant suffering, significant difficult providences, where our faith may be weak. Jonah is extremely weak, which I have a hard time fathoming because if God sent me to a city as a preacher and I had half or a third of the fruit that he saw, I would think I'd be so strong in the faith you could see me levitating, glowing. But he just doesn't think that they deserve it. The dirty, rotten, evil sinners who don't need grace and mercy. They need God's judgment. But in this prayer, we see a wrestling. We actually see in verse 2 the name in Hebrew for God as Yahweh, which is the covenant name that God has for His children, which we have not seen since chapter 2. That he's actually wrestling with his, his covenant father. God, I'm angry with you. I don't get this. Yes, he's ultimately attacking God's word and his, his very character. As he sees a, a, a discontinuity between God's love and his justice. But When you have unmet expectations and you're tempted to be angry, how do you treat the Lord? And my prayer is ultimately that you don't flee from Him due to whatever is going on in your life that's that's wrong in your eyes. 
but see God as a refuge. Seek Him not in anger, at Him at least, but at least seek Him. But if we, if we just dwell on, on the symptom of anger, well, I don't think we're actually going to understand the, the heart problem that's in Jonah's life that seems to be persistent. And so, uh, moving again more into verses 2 and 3, I'm going to look at what I think the problem is. And the first thing is that Jonah has, has seen God's law divorced from God's heart. He sees a problem between God's justice and His love, and he knows that he can't love evil and, and that God can't love evil, but it seems like he does love evil if he's forgiving evil people. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson defines legalism as separating the law of God from the person of God. I think that's what Jonah is doing here. Jonah doesn't think God should forgive certain sinners because that's what the law says. But who is the lawgiver, Jonah? See, Jonah is right in verse 2. He actually starts to quote from Exodus 34, verse 6, regarding God's character, regarding his, his compassion to relent. He is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding and steadfast love, someone who is willing to relent from disaster. And Jonah says, see, that's why I went to Tarshish. I knew you were like that, God. You're not going to punish. And I think you should. But Jonah is, again, just looking at the law. and Say, punish evil, punish evil. That's justice. Do justice, God. Punish evil. That's what the law says. You have to do what it says. I, I reminded again from Luke 15, as that story continues in the prodigal son, that the younger brothers come back, there's a party, the older brother is angry, refuses to go to the party. It continues. Uh, his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. And I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The older brother uh, was a law keeper in his own eyes, but he had divorced the law from his father's heart which was being manifested before his eyes toward his younger brother, a, a loving father who's merciful, who had been loving and merciful to both of them, as any dad would. But the older brother could only see the law and not the lawgiver. In his own life, he saw his father and, and the relationship that he seemingly had with him but when it came to some perceived evil, he said, Father, where's the justice? Kick him out. Get rid of him. I've never broken any of your laws. Not a fat chance that's true. He didn't, he didn't see the law 
lead him back to his own father to mimic his father's love, even to his own brother. Which leads us to uh, the second problem in Jonah's heart. He not only was separating the law from God himself as the lawgiver, which is evidence, again, in Exodus chapter 19, before the Ten Commandments were even given, God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I'm the one who's given you these Ten Commandments. I'm the one. I'm the one. Jonah just separates those, which also shows us that the law has been divorced from maybe actual heart change in Jonah. Those things should go together in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The law and a love for the lawgiver manifested through heart change. We see in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, which I often will use in some of our liturgy. God says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. God is not saying, I don't desire you to worship. I don't desire you to give sacrifices. No, those were God's idea. Those are supposed to go together with an Israelite who loves the Lord. A worshiper who's offering a sacrifice is doing so out of gratitude, out of love, out of heart change. That's, that's the Old Testament law. It was never rote. It was never supposed to be void of true spirituality. But just like many of the Israelites, it can be for us. Now, I'm not saying at this point that Jonah's lost his faith or is not a believer. But there are significant problems with Jonah that are very dangerous. They're much like the Pharisees. Uh, Matthew 9, verse 13, Jesus is speaking to Pharisees. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's quoting from Hosea 6. And he's not saying, stop coming to church, stop worshiping. He's saying, mean it. Believe it. Match the outside with the inside. Well, there was a barrier in Jonah's heart that he was a prophet. He was circumcised. He had done sacrifices. He went to church on Sunday. But there still needed to be repentance. There still needed to be renewal and change in his life so that he wouldn't be like the Ephesian church that Jesus condemns in Revelation 2. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Not as bad as Matthew 23, where Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. But there was a self-righteousness that had crept into Jonah's heart that's now manifested itself through his actual lips. I'm better than the Ninevites. They don't deserve salvation. I do. 
not a Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane. He said, the seeds of all sins are in my heart, and perhaps all the more dangerous that I do not see them. That's the danger that Jonah has walked into. He can't even see his own sin. In Jonah chapter 4, and the brother needs renewal and a heart change. We know from the Shorter Catechism, sanctification is a work of the Spirit, that it is a process. hope it's a process in your life that the third person of the Trinity is continuing to show you your sin, that His grace would be more magnified in your life. But what's the ultimate solution then? We see in uh, verse 4 that a solution for us when we have this kind of a heart problem, even as a believer, is that we need to be confronted by God. If we are a believer, we will be confronted by God in our sin. What does he do? What does he do? Well, he just says this rhetorical question, do you do well to be angry? And the answer, no. You come into the throne room with unmet expectations to the sovereign Lord of the universe and say, I, I could have done it better than you? And you're angry. He confronts him in his sin. As we will see more next week, God is is doing this to show him more of his own compassion. He's actually pursuing Jonah. He doesn't say, that's it, Jonah. You're a prophet and you've messed up twice now. You're done. You've lost. He actually responds and says, who are you? He doesn't just zap him and condemn him to hell. He says, should you be angry at me? How humbling. He's not giving up on Jonah. He's pursuing him. By confronting him with the sin that's destroying him in his own heart. The reason we say once saved, always saved isn't because of our obedience, but because Jesus himself is the author and finisher of our faith, according to Hebrews 12. And Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see grace upon grace coming back at Jonah, who does not deserve it, because he never did. But in his anger, in his sin against God, in his prayer, God responds. And says, okay, let's talk. I'm going to show you your sin and how merciful I actually am. Again, Ferguson says, God was bringing Jonah to a point at which what was in his heart would come out of his lips and was intent on driving out every vestige of that same Pharisaical spirit. And that's painful. Growth and sanctification as a Christian is painful. Because the Spirit is continually rooting out the vestiges of the old man, even though he no longer reigns. Best done in community in a church. 
but he's also finally confronted with God's true character. See, the true character of God as described in Scripture. Jonah left out part of Exodus chapter 34. He said, well, you're gracious. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You're not going to confront evil, God. But verse 7 ends like this in chapter 34. But who will by no means clear the guilty? God is just. He does not clear the guilty. Ferguson again says, legalism can therefore be banished only when we see that the real truth about God is that when we glorify Him, we also can come to enjoy Him forever. And with Him, enjoy everything He has given us. To the unbeliever, this is incomprehensible. But it is the happy first principle of the believer's life. But how? How can we understand God's grace to evil and forgiveness? We have to recognize that's who we were. And again, the confession on justification, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them, I didn't earn my salvation. It was given to me. All I brought to my salvation was the sin that needed forgiving. Jesus brought his righteousness, gave it to me. Therefore, the rest of my life should look like Jonah chapter 3, not Jonah chapter 4. I'm a grace recipient. Why would I not want other people to have this? Proverbs 13, 12 ends, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And we have been given this tree of life. All of our hopes will not be deferred if they're in the Lord Jesus. He actually changes all of my unmet expectations. They're all met if they're based on the person and the work of Him, not on my own sin, my own desires. He changes them. I desire what He desires, no longer simply what I desire. I'll go to Nineveh. I'll preach. I'll be martyred. I'll see evil turns to good because that's what's happened in my heart. Send me. It's captured Wonderfully, in Luke 15, verse 31, at the end of the prodigal son, he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The older brother had forgotten who he was. His father never ceased to love him. Regardless of your unmet expectations in this life, your Father never ceases to love you in Christ Jesus. And whatever your expectations are in this life, they will be far surpassed and fulfilled when He returns again and greets you face to face. Let us pray together. Lord Christ, we thank You for this passage which shows us how to somewhat sinfully wrestle with you. But how, again, loving and compassionate you are to 
Show us your heart and correct our hearts. That you will confront us in our sin. That we would trust and cling to the cross of Christ. The propitiation for our sins. The payment. Would you change our hearts? Those of us who struggle like the older brother. With legalism. Like a Pharisee. And recognize that we too have been forgiven, that we should go and forgive others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.